What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Utilization Report Debrief slash Sheesh Report. My name is Marcus Grant. Glad to be here with you as we put a bow on week eight and set our sights on week nine. We got plenty to dive into, some big injury news, a couple of new signings, uh, and a big return from a quarterback that a lot of people have been waiting on. But to help me get through all of that and more, joined by Dwayne McFarland and Ian Harditz, as always. Gentlemen, good to see you again this morning. We got a lot to dive into. We'll talk about Kirk Cousins a little bit later because uh, we did get the official word, what we sort of all expected, sadly, on Sunday. But uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, Dwayne, let's start down in Arizona because while we may be losing one quarterback in Minnesota, we are gaining another one in the desert. Kyler Murray has been working out. He was tweeting about practicing. We're seeing reports and video. And it looks like the return for Kyler is around the corner. So uh, for people who stashed him or for people who might want to stash him, this seems like an exciting time now. Yeah, really interesting because, I mean, you have Dobbs coming off of a pretty good game. Like he had played well at the beginning of the year and then he had taken a downturn and it was like, no, no, we're sticking with this guy. And then suddenly, no, nah, I watched the film. <laughs> like, I mean, what an indictment. Like Josh Dobbs looked bad, a.k.a. No, we're trying to trade this guy. Like, I think that's what's really happening with Dobbs. We just saw Minnesota lose their quarterback, and we don't want him to get hurt in practice. He's available. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with that. But, yeah, it's in, in true coach style, though, Marcus. They act like they're keeping it a secret. Uh, Clayton Toon also could be the starter. So <laughs> just in case you're getting ready for the Cardinals, you could see Clayton Toon. You know, you're going to spend some valuable film, out, film hours going back and crunching Clayton Toon film. Um, but, yeah, man, if we do get – you know, Kyler Murray back in this offense, I, I do think it's significant because Marquise Brown has been playing really well, 13.4 points per game with a guy that we never expected to play at a NFL starter caliber with Dobbs. Like I said, he did have some nice games. I think he's overperformed our expectations, but we know we get a big upgrade from the, in the accuracy department, you know, with Kyler Murray. So if we get Marquise Brown with more of these uh, passes on target, we also saw Marquise Brown with Kyler Murray early last season, they made magic together before DeAndre Hopkins was back in the lineup. So I think we can look at getting more of that. And Ian has talked about Marquise Brown as really being a buy low for like the last couple of weeks. So very interested to get his thoughts on the impacts here to the Cardinals offense. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, Dwayne, you're exactly right. Because as much as we love talking about Chris Olave's unrealized air yards every week, and in second place in that, you know, sad, sad fantasy metric is Marquise Hollywood Brown. So, yeah, wide receiver five last season in weeks one through six with Hopkins suspended and a healthy Kyler Murray under center. It really is just going to rise, you know, the tide of everyone in this Cardinals offense. So, Kyler Murray himself, I know we've kind of had this back and forth. Is he really an NFL franchise quarterback or not? But don't get it twisted, guys. At least in fantasy land, he is the real deal. Holyfield, one of only five quarterbacks in NFL history, averaging 20 plus fantasy points per game for their career. So, will we immediately see the best version of Kyler you know the second he's out there perhaps not but guys I really do think at least by week 10 it's gonna be hard to keep him out of fantasy lineups at home against the Falcons so whether or not he's back this week for a road game against Miles Garrett and company maybe that's why we get the Clayton Tune experience here just for a second but Kyler Marquise <laughs> Brown now even Trey McBride who I know Dwayne has some fantastic things to say about later all good news for an offense that let's face it we didn't think was gonna be very good at all 
and come back to begin with. So all in all, guys, you know, Jonathan Gannon grinding that film, a seven-point loss to the Ravens, I didn't think was maybe the worst thing ever. He knows more than us, obviously. But yeah, overall, great news for a Cardinals team that could use it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Jonathan Gannon doesn't want to bring back, you know, a guy who's a franchise potential quarterback against Miles Garrett and that Browns defense. So Clayton tuned, you get thrown to the wolves uh, because of that. So good luck. Uh, good luck, kid out there. Uh, <laughs> Ian, let's talk a little bit about Leonard Fournette, because he was the last of the veteran running backs that was still sort of hanging out there. It looks like he is going to Buffalo. Is this really anything or is this more a sign that maybe Damian Harris is going to be out a whole lot longer than anticipated? I think it's definitely something to do with Damian Harris. I think it's also something to do with Latavius Murray just really not giving them much this year. I mean, I understand he is the bigger body back than James Cook, but his main just role over in Buffalo, as we've seen Josh Allen run less, has to be that goal line hammer running back. And it just hasn't overly worked out on the season now. He has been stopped at the one yard line and then not scored on the same drive and NFL high four different times so that really is where the frustration has come from you know James Cook managers such as myself maybe even you listening to this right now because he really has been the more efficient running back throughout the year it's just that Buffalo seemingly will never trust what 196 pound James Cook to ever be that full-fledged three down back so it's one of these things where I don't want to overly freak out I understand that the entire NFL had a good you know eight weeks assigned Leonard Fournette and here we are and it finally took a uh, place at the end of October so not saying James Cook is going to you know cease to exist in this offense but Dwayne like if you just look at again the skill set that Fournette possesses as a big running back who can take goal line carries who can serve in pass pro I mean there's a reason why Tom Brady wanted him on the field so often over the past two years that's not ideal for someone like James Cook even if you know the artist formerly knows Lombardi Lenny maybe isn't quite in his prime anymore yeah, I'm on a similar you know thought process with you, Ian. I, I'm not freaking out about James Cook, but I will say this. It doesn't appear like Buffalo wants to expand his role right now. It, it seems like, okay, James, we like you out there about 50% of the time. We're going to give you half the carries. We're not going to give you much work inside the five. He's got three carries inside the five-yard line this year out of over 15 carries that the uh, opportunities the Bills have had. You mentioned a lot of those have gone to Latavius Murray, a few to Josh Allen. Um, and Murray hasn't been very good. So I do think that Fournette's skill set, though, is a little bit more worrisome than Murray because as much as people want to say Fournette's washed, and, and look, I get it. He's not in his prime anymore. This is a guy that coaches have trusted over the last couple of years, really in all phases of the game. And I, I do believe he is an, up, an upgrade over Murray. So in a situation where we've seen Murray be able, as bad as he's been, be able to take away almost half the work from James Cook. Now, maybe it's not taking away, but coaches want to give someone else half that work. That is a little bit concerning because the other thing that we've seen with James Cook that worries me the most over the last several games has really been his route participation. He has not been over, he's only been over 50%, two, three, well, since, since week four. He's only been over that twice. He's been down in the 40s. He's not getting the two-minute offense. We thought he would get that. On the year, he's only, saw, only had 52, 52% of that. Long down in distance, he's now sharing more of that work. And Murray, Murray last week had, or the week before last, had 86% of the two-minute offense. Last week, they didn't use their two-minute offense. So I do think that Fournette is a bigger threat, you know, in the passing down role. And that could really limit Cook. And that's where we're expecting to get some of that upside. So I do think right now you have to look at James Cook as a player that's been very efficient, getting a lot of yards per carry, giving you the explosive plays, 
but not as involved in the passing game as we wanted him to be. And that's really what we need to get that fantasy goodness. So I look at Cook more as a low-end running back, too, that now has to earn his way back up into that mid-range RB2, high-end RB2 status that we had given him earlier this season. Yeah, it uh, it has not been quite as productive as we would have hoped with James Cook. Uh, for whatever reason, the, the Bills just want to keep rotating backs. Look, I know it works for them. Uh, it's frustrating for us, but uh, we all have to adjust at this point in the season. Eh? That's just that's just sort of life. Um, speaking of life, there are a lot of things that happened in the NFL that frustrated us and maybe left us wanting more, which is why we have the Sheesh Report. Ian Harditz every week puts this thing together. You can check it out. It is live now at FantasyLife.com. And Ian, uh, I have been using Duolingo to learn Spanish for a little while now. And uh, one thing that I apparently did not realize with all my work is that Olave is Spanish for unrealized air yards. Yeah, it's a little known fact, uh, Marcus, but here we are, and uh, it's <laughs> undoubtedly true. And yes, my goodness, guys, we are now up to 750 unrealized air yards for Olave, and Marquise Brown is at 521. If you don't even know what I'm talking about, just take those two numbers, 750 versus 521, and you know something very wrong is going on in New Orleans. And as much as I would love to sit here and say, Oh, you know, big, bad Derek Carr can't put the ball anywhere near him. Really tough to blame anyone other than the man in the mirror when it comes to Olave for last Sunday's performance, guys. Coulda, shoulda, woulda had a 39-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, got Call of Duty headshotted with the football and could not rein it in. And <laughs> apparently, you know, not to throw stones at any of our lovely statistical providers out there, but if you don't get your hands up in time to actually try to catch the ball and it hits you in the head, that's not even considered an objective drop uh, by some, I guess, uh, you know, again, statistical resources. So credit to Olave for still somehow having zero drops on the season not quite sure how that works but yes he is still our very much unrealized air yards king also would note that christian watson dk metcalf deontay johnson Devonte adams and george pickens were those other wide receivers with triple digit unrealized air yards again aka plenty of fantasy friendly downfield opportunity just couldn't quite make anything out of it we gave for one reason or another you mentioned Devontae Adams and watching the Monday night game, there was a point where uh, Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew him. And as a 49er fan, I had flashbacks to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G uh, missing a wide open Emmanuel Sanders, which could have beat the Chiefs that week. But uh, this one, not nearly as high stakes, but probably just as bad in terms of the miss. That's the same, Marcus. Definitely not as high of stakes as much as we love our Monday night football here. But uh, <laughs> definitely also, I think, a pair, especially the 60-yarder, that were even worse than that miss to Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, okay, on the one hand, the first miss we had to you know deal with last night could have, should have, would have been a 98-yard house call when Devontae Adams ran right past his corner. But they did have, like, you know, a cover zero blitz going on there so didn't have all that much time it would have been a really nice throw under duress that said nobody was freaking there between him and the end zone it was a 60 yarder just a couple possessions after that though that really made everyone say sheesh sick double move wide open clean pocket for jimmy g dude looked like he was seeing ghosts out there and couldn't quite get the ball out there so look with garoppolo i mean someone that going into this year and probably still is i haven't checked the stats in the last you know 30 minutes but the nfl's all-time leader in yards per attempt so it's not like jimmy g makes that big of a habit of missing these guys but man i cannot remember where worst performance out of him then on Monday night. Devontae and Jacoby Myers didn't have a single catch combined at halftime, guys. That's how rough things were and obviously did not get better. So trade deadline today, free Devontae Adams. I don't think it would help the Raiders, but Marcus, as you kind of brought up earlier, sometimes it's not about the Raiders. It's about our fantasy teams. 
Yeah, sometimes we're making decisions for us. We're selfish like that. That's what we do. Uh, meanwhile, apparently, Ian, Deontay Johnson needs three forms of ID to get into the end zone. That's the only explanation I can have for why he can't score touchdowns. 653 days, guys. That's how long it's been since Deontay last found the end zone. It was a lovely score back in the wild card round in the early portions of 2022. But yeah, oh my goodness. This one, usually we're used to seeing the Deontay Johnson drops. That's what we talk about. And don't get it twisted. There were a couple of those on Sunday as well. Not for touchdowns, though. The one miss we had on the potential touchdown should have been a five-yard score where Deontay broke wide open. Unfortunately, Kenny Pickett just couldn't quite get turned around fast enough. And by the time he threw it, Deontay was no longer open. He was slipping to the turf and Shishin. So one of those situations where Deontay actually talked about the play himself after the game and just noted like, yeah, we got to have better timing. We got be better between us and then he went on to you know kind of eviscerate the referees so pretty much took the pressure off the sheesh by going you know full just you know level 10 i guess on the officials out there but yeah one of these situations where great overall game from deontay i think uh you know fantasy point scott barrett put it best though just a vintage deontay performance when you get 14 targets you get like 15 16 ppr points and you also have several examples on film of his quarterback missing him for a touchdown and him also missing some opportunities on drops so just the whole package with deontay it's great to have him back Awesome. We get the whole gamut. Uh, we'll see what happens on Thursday night. Kenny Pickett right now, a game time decision uh, per Mike Tomlin. So we'll see if he's available to go against the Tennessee Titans. Meanwhile, Damian Pierce on paper had a great matchup against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the yards weren't there and the touchdowns weren't there either. Uh, not, to, not to say he didn't have chances, Ian. And it's really been an all-year thing for Damian Pierce. Technically, these were the only two times this year where he's gotten all the way down to the one-yard line and then failed to score a touchdown on the same drive. But I'm pretty sure if I extended that back to the two- or three-yard line, he'd be vying for that top spot. So this week in particular, it was on two separate drives, Pierce getting down to the one-yard line, only to be vultured by first. They're kind of like hybrid H-back, fullback, tight end, whatever you want to call them, Andrew Beck, and later C. Jay Stroud. So Pierce, someone that, you know, I'm not sure what you guys have on deck for the utilization report, but saw, you know, a decent enough return to kind of the 1A role in that Houston Texans backfield. Just again, been a few feet away a couple times this year from really hitting pay dirt. Only one score on the year so far for Damian Pierce could be so much more. Some other guys just throughout the season that have, again, gotten stuffed at the one yard line so many times and then not been able to score in the same drive. It is Latavius Murray in first, like I mentioned before. AJ Dylan up there as well, although some more of them are coming the same drive. And Austin Eckler, Brian Robinson, DeAndre Swift, Joe Mixon, and Alvin Kamara. Only other guys with three such sheeshes. So uh, DeAndre Swift slipping from the top spot and maybe uh, maybe that maybe the folks in Buffalo are reading the sheesh <laughs> report and that's why they added Leonard Fournette to, uh, to take over for Latavius Murray there. Uh, a couple more sheeshes. Look, man, Sky Moore doesn't get that many chances, Ian. So when he gets one, uh, I feel like it's probably in his best interest to probably hold on to it. Yeah, and shout out to Andy Reid for coming to his guy's defense. He actually said after the game that a lot of people are getting on Sky Moore for the drop, but he actually wanted to cite defensive pet pass interference. And if you do look closely at the replay, you can see the Broncos defender did have a little bit of a hold of Sky Moore's left arm. But you know what? Again, the statistical providers up there, you know, God, whoever you want to call it, did go ahead and call this one an objective drop. And I do tend to agree. So credit to Reid for having his guys back. But man, man, 
absolute pearl of a potential 26 yard touchdown on fourth and two with like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter no less goes right through sky moore's hands so i don't want to completely blame it on him wearing number 24 but you know not saying that has nothing to do with it either <laughs> the only other clear cut drop touchdown from this week though has to go to bears second year wide receiver velas jones my gosh i mean this 26 year old second year talent still can't get over that fact but just wide open in the end zone from 40 yards away slipped and fell which would make you think like okay he's screwed but t-bags pass still managed to hit him in the chest and then it hit his chest and then fell to the turf as a drop so sucks to see that you know hasn't exactly been the start in the career that either sky or Vila's probably imagined for themselves certainly not helping the cause there with those shishas either yeah, you mentioned Sky Moore wearing number 24. If he drops that in 2 to 22, I mean, look, Rashid Shahid is doing big things uh, wearing 22. Maybe he's just got the, you know, two numbers too heavy <laughs> on that jersey. Who knows? I'm making things up. <laughs> uh, one thing that is not made up is that the Sheesh Report is always good reading. Go sure, go be sure to check it out for all the things that you might not have seen on Sunday. Ian Harditz has you covered. Ian, thank you, man. Appreciate you, fellas. All right, uh, there he goes, uh, Mr. Ian Harditz. Uh, be sure to check him out uh, when and wherever you can. All right, Dwayne, let's get to uh, some utilization here. And uh, mentioned at the top of the show, we would dive into Kirk Cousins a little bit. We did get the official word uh, that he is out for the season with an Achilles injury. That is unfortunate for him, unfortunate for the Vikings as well. I, look, I, I look at this offense, though. They haven't been able to run the ball effectively. Uh, Justin Jefferson is still on injured reserve. But at least we had the Kirk Cousins to Jordan Addison and Kirk Cousins <laughs> to TJ Hawkinson situation. I don't know what we have now because I don't know that we completely know who the quarterback's going to be. Yeah, I think there's a lot to kind of piece through here. But I will tell you, like, I was kind of surprised when I dug into this research. I think maybe there is a glimmer of hope. Obviously, it's going to be a downgrade when we look at Cousins. He has the seventh most passing yards per game since 2020. That's also including this year at 270 yards per game. And he averages two passing touchdowns per game. That ranks six in the NFL. Not an easy thing to do, right? When we look at the list, you see there's only six names above a guy in the NFL where it's really hard to get to. We're probably looking at something where it's going to be a downgrade. Let's start with Jaron Hall. I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about Jaron Hall. I haven't gone back and, you know, grinded the film on this guy or anything. I watched him a little bit when he was coming out. He has some interesting traits. You know, he can move around a little bit. So I do think if he's playing, Marcus, they're going to have to change the offense. They probably gear things down. Right now, the Vikings are the second most pass-heavy team in the league. I think with Jaron Hall under center, that changes. That at least is probably going to be the case for this next weekend. As we wait for Nick Mullins, so I'll talk about in just a second, he's on IR, eligible to return in week 10. But when we talk about Hall, I think we can keep it pretty simple. Even though you and I may not you know, be able to give you his complete collegiate profile, here's what I do know. Quarterbacks taken, round four, five, six, and seven, going all the way back to 2000, Marcus. There have been 117 of those. Guess how many have managed to start at least nine games and average 200 yards, just 200, 200 yards passing Per game. Out of 170. I'm going to just go out and let me say one. <laughs> wow. Well, you're really pessimistic one? this morning. No, yeah. 11. 11. <laughs> you know, it's pretty low bar. Nine games. And you're like, why did you choose nine games? Well, I had to because Sam Howell was in there. And we know he's going to get to the 10-game sample that I was looking for. So Sam Howell's actually one of the guys that has done this. And he was around five picks. So there is hope out there. But if we bump it up even a little bit more, because we just talked about Cousins being a 270-yard guy, if we bump that to 250 
Only 3.4% of quarterbacks drafted in that range have gone on to average 250 yards or more and get at least nine starts. It just doesn't happen. So while we all want to root for the underdog, and we're all we're hoping that that happens. I really am. I'm hoping that happens. I hope Jaron Hall is the next Dak Prescott. Like we would all welcome that with open arms. The reality is, no matter who's grinding the film or what they may think they see, it's probably not happening. So I think that really leads us to what happens in week 10 when we get Nick Mullins back. That's where I got surprised, Marcus. Over 17 games as the NFL starter, as an NFL starter, so at least 70% of the snaps, he's averaged 268 yards per game and 1.4 touchdowns. <laughs> I had no clue. I was actually DMing our producer, Jordan. <laughs> yesterday, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, look at this. Like, I, I pay attention to football all the time. I watch football all the time. I look at data on football all the time. I had no clue that Nick Mullins was in this territory. And it, it's a small sample size, but that's almost a full season you know, of NFL games. And it's not just like a couple of big games driving up the average, Marcus. So if we break it down a little further, if we look at his starts, 300 plus yards and four of them, 24% of the time. Between 275 and 299, another three. And then you, if, if you just look at 250 plus and you total it all up, 65% of his starts, Nick Mullins has been at 250 yards or more. So I think that there's actually still hope here. And the way I would play this is if we hear Jaron Hall is going to be the starter beyond one week, and I don't think we're going to know that, they're just going to probably see how he does this weekend if they have to play him. If they don't make a trade for someone like Kyler Murray, someone like Josh Dodds, that's still in the range of outcomes as well here. I think we probably see Hall this next weekend, and it's a downgrade for everyone. Like Addison moves out of the, he moves out of the wide receiver three territory. He's really just a boom bust wide receiver four. But if we get Nick Mullins under center, in week 10. And, and honestly, I looked everywhere. There's no, there's not any news on his back injury. He went on IR at the same time as Justin Jefferson, hmm. but the coaches don't have to share anything right now. There's, there's not, there's not anything in the rules where they've got to share until this guy's actually eligible to be in a game. So I think if we get Mullins back though, like my outlook on the Vikings is not as bad. Like I think Justin Jefferson, if he comes back and plays, which I know people are saying, Oh, why would he ever? Well, I think the main reason is because the Vikings suddenly might be in a playoff race. I know the Lions won last night, but it's really just the Lions and Vikings, Marcus. I mean, so I, there could be a reason to play. I think Addison keeps that low-end wide receiver three status. You know, we had moved him up more towards a high-end wide receiver three with Jefferson out. And I think TJ Hawkinson's still at a, you know, he's a mid-range tight end one that could still be a good tight end one. He had some really solid games in the past with George Kittle. So I think all those guys take a slight downgrade, but probably not as much as what the market thinks. So if if we think Jaron Hall is going to be the starter, I want to sell all these guys now at the prices I just mentioned around Nick Mullins. That way, if Jaron Hall stays the starter, great, I got out. But if Nick Mullins comes in and he is the starter and he surprises, I don't feel bad because I didn't undersell my Vikings. Otherwise, I'm probably just holding all of them. And I'm waiting for that really bad Jaron Hall game. Look, hope Jaron Hall does well. But if he bombs this next weekend, <laughs> I do think that's a potential buy opportunity because people could just be thinking, oh, Jefferson's not coming back. You know, TJ Hawkinson's not even a tight end one anymore. You know how people can overreact. So that's how I would play this situation. I, I appreciate the latitude there. There was a lot to break down. But the main takeaway is I was floored <laughs> by Nick Mullins. I mean, look, the thing about Nick Mullins is, you know, he was on that run when, you know, Shanahan, no surprise, had to go through a number of quarterbacks in San Francisco, and Mullins was one of them. 
Uh, and and he did get some good performances out of Nick Bones to the point that look like that was why when the Niners went out and added Sam Darnold and people sort of snickered. I was like, hey, look, man, if anybody could get something out of Sam Darnold, uh, it seems Kyle Shanahan might be the one. So we'll see uh, whether or not Nick Mullins can keep that magic going when and if he gets back on the field uh, for Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings. Meanwhile, quarterback issues in Los Angeles where Matthew Stafford left the loss to the Cowboys on Sunday with a thumb injury. And it looks like. Brett Rippon is the answer there. Uh, your thoughts on what this means for you know, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, and the rest of the crew? I think this one is much more problematic, but it's probably just short term. Uh, you know, just really relying on the medical community on Twitter. I think with Rippon, we're probably going to see him for one or two games because Stafford has that UCL injury. And most of the docs that I have looked at lean towards him missing this coming game and then returning after the bye week. So that would give Stafford the two weeks to Hill, and then you're back to normal. You're going to get what you normally get out of Puka Nakua, out of Cooper Cup, all the rest of those guys. But for that couple of games, or for that for this game this weekend, I think we have to downgrade Cooper Cup. I think we have to downgrade Nakua. I don't think we can have either one of them in that wide receiver one conversation. Now, any quarterback can come out and for one game when they haven't been exposed, Marcus, and you really game plan them up and they might be able to surprise us. So we don't want to get like just crazy nuts on how far we downgrade these guys because they are capable of just between the two of them earning 75% of the targets for the Rams. So that's always going to be a positive. And if you get to 220 yards passing in a game, which a guy like Rippon can do, like you might still squeeze a wide receiver two performance out of both players. Just don't have that potential ceiling game, which by the way, we still haven't gotten from Stafford. We've been waiting on it. So I do think that this is a bigger issue in the short term. Um, you know, obviously like Jaron Hall is a big issue for one week for the Vikings, but if we get Stafford out for longer than we think, like if this thumb injury lingers, I do worry about this one a little more. Uh, yeah, th this is going to be one to keep an eye on. Uh, by the way, side note, you can tell how long someone has been watching the NFL if you show them the name Rippin and you find out how they pronounce it. Uh, if they say Rippian, uh, chances are they don't remember uh, his uncle, yep. Mark, winning Super Bowls uh, with Washington way back in the day. Um, definitely something to keep an eye on, though, in Washington though, with Matthew Stafford and that thumb injury. All right, some good quarterback news now. Will Levis. Uh, he of the mayo in the coffee uh, stepped out <laughs> and had himself a day. Four touchdown passes, three of them to DeAndre Hopkins. And I know it's only one game, but it very much looks like, Dwayne, Ryan Tannehill might not be getting his job back. Yeah, it's interesting because we are talking about Mike Rabel. Uh, he's kind of one of those Arthur Smith <laughs> guys, kind of one of those, you know, potential Dan Campbell guys will just do things where they just, you know, drive fantasy managers crazy unless you're just talking about feeding Derrick Henry, he'll always do that for us. But yeah, with Levis, I think <laughs> we just have to look at it for what it is. This is the best that the Titans offense has looked. I can't tell you or not whether this is going to be a fluke for Levis. This is a guy that many thought would be a top five pick in the draft. He fell down the draft board on draft day. Everybody remembers it didn't go until the early second round, but you know, we've seen that in the past, Marcus. I'm not saying he's Aaron Rodgers, but we saw that happen with Aaron Rodgers. Remember that Alex Smith, was the first pick of the draft, mm -hmm. and Aaron Rodgers was supposed to go in the next couple of picks, didn't go till the end of the first round. So I think with Levis, we can't just say, oh, God, he's the next Aaron Rodgers, but we also can't just dismiss him because the NFL suddenly wasn't crazy about him anymore. They've missed on things like this, 
And if you look at what he did on Sunday, the thing I like, Marcus, is it's going to remain a run-first offense, right, or at least a balanced-to-run-balanced offense. But he gives you that ability to at least push the ball down the field. And so you can go for those big plays off the run game, off of play action. And he did a really good job with that. 29% of his passes went for 20-plus yards. That is a lot, folks. Most quarterbacks are around 10 to 12% on average per year. So that's going to regress and come down some. But this is a guy willing to push the ball down the field, and he still completed 66% of his passes. Now, going back and watching all those passes, Eh, you know, I don't know that you're going to have guys that wide open all the time. You know, <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins basically mugged the cornerback on the first one. Uh, and when the ball was thrown, you know, they're even, they're kind of scrambling. And then it's DeAndre Hopkins wide open. Later, DeAndre Hopkins makes a really nice move, gets wide open on another one deep. Uh, you know, his other one was a little bit tighter, but three touchdowns to Hopkins. So this was big for Hopkins managers. Uh, probably one of those potential big whiffs on a full slate. You you might have thought, you know, I'm just going to bench DeAndre Hopkins. No need to push it this weekend. Has his biggest <laughs> game of the weekend. Um, but looking at Levis, if he can stay in the lineup, I think it is ultimately an upgrade for all of these receiving weapons just because the big play is potentially there, Marcus. Even if Levis can't keep up what we saw on Sunday, the question is, will Mike Rabel allow him to do this. I will say if he has another good game, there will be no turning back. Even Mike Rabel, I don't know that he would be able to handle the media and all of the fans and their pitchforks outside of his office if he decided to put Tannehill back in. <laughs> uh, you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. First game in his career with 100 receiving yards and three touchdowns. So for all the things he's accomplished in his career, uh, hadn't done that until Sunday. So we will see what Will Levis has to offer though against the Atlanta Falcons. You mentioned uh, Aaron Rodgers. Of course, we always remember that video of him just sitting in the green room looking uh, uh, disappointed, yeah. dejected, a little bit salty. Uh, and then you, have, you remember Lamar Jackson, another guy who fell to the end of the first round when the Ravens were able to scoop him up and uh, Brady Quinn blossomed into no? his NFL career as well. Brady Quinn. No, we don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, not so much. <laughs> not, not, not so much. Uh, he's good on TV, but uh, that's, that's kind of about it. Um, <clears throat> let's look at some running backs because uh, we talked about James Cook and maybe not getting the utilization or the production that we wanted to, uh, Tony Pollard. Seems like he's sort of trending that direction as well. This was a big surprise because this is a guy we were talking about potentially as a first-round fantasy draft pick, but so far the returns have not been anything close to that, Dwayne. Yeah, it pains me, but we just had to give Pollard this downgrade. Like, he doesn't look right, A, and then B, they're not feeding him in Dallas. So if we look at the efficiency, really he's been one of the explosive playmakers in the NFL over the last few years. Now there was the theory out there and we'd even heard their running back coaches talk about it in the past that, well, if you give him too much of a workload, he's not going to be as explosive, but I don't really buy that. I mean, we've seen guys like Jamal Charles. We've seen other smaller backs, Christian McCaffrey. We've seen Austin Eckler before he ballooned up to the size that he's at. So, you know, slowly take on more and more work and still be really good players and remain effective that hasn't been the case for Pollard if you look at him his missed tackles force per attempt Marcus 7.4 percent that's 50th 50th out of 52 running backs with at least 35 carries that's not a number we're used to seeing for Pollard average yards after contact 2.6 that's 36th out of 52 and then the big one those 10 plus uh those 10 plus rushing attempt those 10 plus yard rushing attempts only six and a half percent that's a number where Pollard has been in that 12, 13, 14% range. So he's not breaking the long runs. And then when you add into that, the utilization, 
we look at the last four games, Marcus. So they kind of loaded him up early in the year, weeks, uh, week two, week three. And since then, they have really backed off. He's averaging an 11, 11 and a half attempts and four targets over the last four games. So that is really problematic right now. Now, things can change quickly. But my challenge is both things are going bad. We need one or both of these things to turn around to really get any sort of value out of Pollard. Look, if you look at him right now and you look at his comps over the last 12 years of data, he comps to the running back 20 with an average of 13.6 fantasy points per game. He's averaging 10.7 right now. He's third worst in expected points per game, minus 3.3. Okay, so everything right now is telling us not as efficient as he needs to be. And then even with the touches he is, because, because of that, even with the touches that he's getting, he's not living up to expectations. So still in our top 24 running backs, I've downgraded him to mid-range running back too. He's still on a good offense. I still think there's a chance for this Cowboys offensive line to improve. And maybe, just maybe, this is some sort of lingering effect from that tightrope ankle procedure that he had in the offseason. Remember, in the 49ers playoff game, he had a broken bone, plus he injured, he had that high ankle sprain. Everything I read, everything I could find was like, hey, this takes three months to heal. So I have no clue why it would be lingering this long, but maybe there is an injury or something he's working his way back from. But for now, we just we have to downgrade him until we see something change. Well, the offense for Dallas looks like it's starting to come together. Uh, they've had a couple of really nice games in a row moving the football. This week, uh, a tough challenge for any running back going against that Eagles defensive front. So we'll see if Tony Pollard can kind of get things kicked into gear uh, in the very near future. Meanwhile, <clears throat> Javante Williams definitely kicking things into gear. And uh, you, know, you bring up an interesting point. Was he on the Brees Hall plan? <laughs> And Sean Payton just didn't let us know because all of a sudden now uh, his snap share, his his uh, his touches, everything just exploded this past week against Kansas City. Yeah, pretty crazy. We upgraded him to mid-range uh, running back three status. You know, we kind of take things in steps here last week and we got another good data point this week. You just mentioned it. Everything is moving up. So over the last three games, Marcus, rushing attempt share 50 percent, 63 percent and 80 82% of the rushing attempts. I honestly, look, this shows you we know nothing. I really didn't think with Jalil <laughs> McLaughlin there, with Samaj P. Ryan there, we would see a game all season where this guy would get 80% of the rushing attempts unless one of them was hurt, right? But this is where we are right now. I still think McLaughlin's going to be part of the game plan. This was a surprising game strip, Marcus. I mean, we had the Broncos out here leading the Chiefs Pretty much the whole game. So, like, I don't know how we predict that sort of thing. But what we can say is a couple of data points that we've seen now is when we're in this these close games or the Broncos are leading, I do think they're going to be willing to lean on Javante more. And that gives you the potential for spike games when it goes your way like this. And we can't always predict when it's going to be. No one in the NFL would have told you the Broncos were going to lead the Chiefs all game. Right. So this isn't just about fantasy analysis. This is just NFL analysis, period, in general. Like we it's it's tough to know how all these things are going to break. So I think this is a big this is big news. I mean, obviously, he's trending up. This is a player that we really liked last year. He's coming back off of an injury. He had another he had a compensatory injury earlier this year with the hip and he's starting to look better. Efficiency's not fully there yet, but I do think at this point I've I just I've reached a point where I had to move him into the low end running back two status. And I think the biggest path here, Marcus, is if somehow P. Ryan got moved at the deadline, not saying we've heard anything about this happening, 
or Williams just takes over that role from P Ryan. Um, P Ryan's a nice player, but Williams has been really good in the passing game this year. He's a 29% targets per route run. So that is absolutely elite. He's a guy they like to get involved in the passing game. So if he could get a little bit more route participation, there's room for even more upside than where we have today, even if McLaughlin stays involved. Well, and P. Ryan, when they added him, always sort of felt like kind of a stopgap. I mean, not sure what Williams' uh, health was going to be coming into the season. The Broncos wanted to take it slow. P. Ryan was a nice option to sort of fill in the gaps. But now that Williams looks like he's healthier, uh, maybe he does get a larger role moving forward there. Speaking of a bigger role, Gus Edwards has carved out a bigger role there in Baltimore uh, since the injury to J.K. Dobbins. It's sort of been him, uh, Edwards, and Justice Hill getting a lot of the work. But the last couple of weeks, Dwayne, the Gus bus has taken off, and he looks like the number one running back for that Ravens offense. Yeah, and he gets this rare, we're going to give him the upgrade here, but it's also a sell high. <laughs> you know, it's confusing people. What, man, you just upgraded my guy, and now I got to sell him? Uh, it kind of gets you into like the whole, you know, the <laughs> dynasty community where, you know, we all love the dynasty community. We play dynasty football. We study rookies. We study these guys as well. But it is funny because like the kind of meme is as soon as a player is good, you got to sell them. You got to sell them high. You got to sell them at their very, you got to sell at the yep. performance. So <laughs> kind of a similar concept here with Gus Edwards, but you mentioned it. The big thing is the upgrade and utilization and you can just see it from the beginning of the year. But if we look, at weeks one through three, he averaged 31% of the team's rushing attempts. Then we look at weeks four through six, he kind of plateaued. He was at that 51% range. And then weeks seven through eight, so these last two games, 66% of the rushing attempts. So he's really distanced from Justice Hill. He is the lead back. Hill is still coming in, taking passing downs and things like that away from Edwards. So there's going to be game scripts that are going to get away. And so there is enough here, though, to give you the upgrade. Like, this is not a hyper-efficient player, Marcus. So you could also see in the range of outcomes, they just kind of think Justice Hill gets a hot hand later in the season. I mean, 10-plus yard carries, 8.6% for Gus Edwards. That's 27th out of 52 running backs with at least 35 carries. Missed tackles forced per attempt, 11.4%. That's 43rd. Average yards after contact where he's typically been good, 2.5. That's 37th. So this is an average to below average running back, but the coaches are trusting him right now at this exact moment. The best example I can give to you of this is remember how high everyone was on Brian Robinson after the first few games? And then what happened? He <laughs> yeah. fell off. Just a below average efficiency back that can lose the hot hand at any moment. You suddenly get Chris Rodriguez involved in a game and is very game script dependent. So I think that's what we have here. He does upgrade to low-end running back to status, but if you really look at that, that's not typically a league winner. And if someone's ready to pay you like the top two performances he's just had or just pay you like he's a low-end running back one, a high-end running back two, I would be very, very willing to move on from Gus Edwards. If not, enjoy it, ride it while you can. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been a great ride, at least the last few weeks with Gus Edwards. We'll see how long that continues. Uh, you talk about inefficient backs. That gets us to Carolina. Panthers get their first win of the season. And Chuba Hubbard looks like he's taken over in the backfield. Look, he he wasn't great. He hasn't been great all year. Uh, I guess that's part of the story. The other part of the story, Miles Sanders getting fewer touches than Raheem Blackshear. But, uh, there, so there appears to be a change. Look, I know Sanders just came back from an injury, but it does appear to be a changing of the guard in that Carolina backfield. Yeah, I think it's all the co the combination of all the things you just talked about. You know, so we have the new play caller. 
you get the bye, and then you come out, and Miles Sanders isn't even on the injury report. And it all goes to Chuba Hubbard. I mean, the guy saw 66% of the snaps, 71% of the rushing attempts. Miles Sanders, 10% of the rushing attempts. There, there's no logic in fantasy football that's safe, Marcus. The logic of, <laughs> oh, they paid this guy. Well, throw that one on the scrap heap as well and just set it on fire because just weird stuff happens. It can be chaos once the season starts. And right now, this team does appear to prefer Chuba Hubbard. He's still available in 40% of Yahoo leagues right now heading into the, the Tuesday night waiver wire run. So if he's somebody that's there, you got to look at him as and things can change quickly. We know that. But right now you just have to treat it as what it is with all with all these data points stacking up. I think we're reading the tea leaves here. The best guess, <laughs> the best guess. This is how this is how much this this, this season has battered me. Uh, our, we're thinking that most likely this, this is so like I'm so like not like just giving you a firm take here, but it's, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like I do all this research and we go through these things and like, I've got historical data and all these things and trends. And it's just like, it's I'm waffling like right here. Like this guy probably is the starter and you just have to treat him that way. You have to go pick him up, Marcus. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it next week when he's not, you know, and we'll just tell you that, uh, just kidding. Pick up Miles Sanders. Mark the day, week eight, <laughs> heading into week nine is when Chuba Hubbard broke Dwayne. Okay. <laughs> that's when that seems to have been what, what happened uh, with that Carolina running game. And we weren't point. even high on um, Miles Sanders. You didn't the, really like him. I didn't like him. No. Ian didn't like him. And he's the guy that breaks me. <laughs> it's, it, it is. It's, it's, you uh, know, it's, it's, it's amazing the things that bring us to our breaking point uh, in this weird game we play. Um, Let's talk some wide receivers because it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Kendrick Bourne and whether or not he could keep it going in New England, and it looks like he's going to continue to produce. But a new name has emerged, Demario Douglas showing up there, which also probably puts another nail in the fantasy production for Juju Smith-Schuster, but that's another conversation for another time. But the, the Mario Douglas starting to get some work. I guess we should pay attention. Yeah, my lead for this guy in the utilization report is, who in the hell is Demario Douglas? Because most people really don't know who he is. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you remember the show Major League, Marcus, where they're like, who are these guys? I think this guy here is dead, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, we're going to put a roster out there, but I can't say you're going to have heard of any of these players. Uh, maybe Demario Douglas can get that... Uh, that old Cleveland magic going from major league. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe help turn the things around for the Patriots here. But here's the big thing with Douglas. He was a very high end target earner in college. Now he's from a small school in Liberty. So we always have to be careful. Doesn't always translate, but a 28% Marcus, 28% targets per route run over his career at Liberty. And when we look at the Patriots, while we love to make fun of them for their inability to, understand what a wide receiver even looks like in the NFL, how to go sign the right ones, how to draft the right ones. We do have to give them a sliver of credit around a very specific type of wide receiver where they are good. They understand slot wide receivers. We can go back to the day with Julian Edelman when they drafted him. We can go back to when they traded for Wes Welker. We can go to Jacoby Myers, who they somehow let get away. And wow, sorry, Jacoby, last night was not good. But uh, whatever, <laughs> Jimmy G, we'll just move on from that. So when we look at those two things together, high-end target earner in college, plus the Patriots have shown a proclivity for getting these sort of things right, and we look at the last couple of games, Marcus, 76% route participation and 84% targets per route run, 20% and 22%. You mentioned it. Kendrick Bourne is now out. So they have to have someone step up. Juju Smith-Schuster has not looked good at all. 
I think there's a real opportunity here, especially in PPR formats. I think standard scoring going to be a little tougher, but I do think there, there's a chance in the range of outcomes this turns into a guy like what we saw a couple years ago with Hunter Renfro, where it was just out of nowhere. It's like nobody knew Hunter Renfro was going to be a top 12 receiver that season. And the stars aligned, and it worked out. We can also say that playing underneath NFL coverages from the slot is the easiest way to actually outkick your ability. So even if DeMario Douglas is a good wide receiver, even if he's sorry, even if he's an average wide receiver, like he could still perform okay. He could still give you fantasy production. So he is a guy that I look at, especially if you're in deeper leagues. He's available everywhere. Like he's available in like over 90% of leagues. Yeah. I think he's like a 10 to 15% fab guy if you're in a competitive league where it's like, man, there's nothing on my waiver wire. I think this guy really needs to be a priority. Not saying he's gonna suddenly turn into that wide receiver one, but I think there's a really good chance he's a wide receiver three for you the rest of the way. I've upgraded him to a low-end wide receiver four status. If we see that role continue from the slot and it's not Juju kicking back inside or they don't make some weird change, it is the Patriots, guys. They do weird things from week to week. It's very hard to predict what they're going to do, but we do have this last couple of games, and there's just not anyone else on the roster that's doing much. Yeah, that's maybe the big thing. There's really nobody out there who's uh, who's taking advantage of the opportunity. So Demario Douglas is a guy who has a chance to make some plays there. Uh, Deontay Johnson, Ian talked about him in the Sheesh Report. Uh, he still can't score a touchdown, but he's getting targets. He's doing everything else, Dwayne. So I guess we're back to Deontay sort of being Deontay now. <laughs> yeah, look, he's earning the. T- it's a typical Deontay Johnson uh, performance. You look at it, like, oh man, 35, 35% of the team's targets. You know, he goes completely nuts. Uh, you would think that was like a wide receiver five finish. No, it's wide receiver eight. It kind of is what it is at this point with Deontay, (laughs) but just watching him, I did go back and watch. Like, he's just such a good player, Marcus. He's really fun. He is always open. He can turn defensive backs around. You had a chunk play right to start off the game down the seam that was just off his fingertips. A little bit better ball from Kenny Pickett, and he brings that in. And so it's not all on Deontay Johnson. I know we like to look at these guys like Chris Olave and we look at Marquise Brown and Deontay Johnson. They're all kind of similar, right? We get these similar type of outcomes, even though their utilization and everything else looks so good. But I want to make sure everybody understands, don't dismiss it as, oh, they're just not as talented as we think. No, they really are. They are very talented. And with a little bit more variance going their way, they're going to have bigger weeks. Should we expect them to be as good as the guys that are in the top six? No, because those guys have proven they can do what they do with their opportunities. These guys are at a little bit of a different level. They've at least proven they can earn the opportunities, which honestly is the biggest step in the equation. And we need them to convert more of this into fantasy points. But even with that, like this is a guy that if he doesn't improve in that area, I think the rest of the way Marcus is a wide receiver too. He's been a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy before for, uh, that was 2021, I believe was the 2021 season where Deontay Johnson was a wide receiver nine. I remember people this year, like preseason. I just doesn't have the upset, man. I don't see it. I'm like two years ago. He was a top 12 receiver. Like what? I I don't understand like this. There isn't any upside. (laughs) There's definitely some variance here with the guy, but I do upgrade him to low end wide receiver two territory. Also, if Kenny Pickett doesn't play, it doesn't really matter guys at this point. I think we just have to assume Kenny Pickett is what he is. He averages 217 yards passing per game. Mitch Trubisky in games where he's played 70% of the snaps averages 216 yards per game. So tomato, tomato, sorry, Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> fans, until Kenny Pickett proves more. It's not looking good for you with Pickett, but it's the same thing for fantasy purposes for Deontay Johnson and for George Pickett. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly the one thing we've learned about Johnson is that he can earn targets. Now, touchdowns are fickle beasts. One day, hopefully, one of them visits his door. <laughs> uh, but until then, you know, he kind of he kind of is what he is. Um, over to Houston, where Tank Dell, Nico Collins got off to a really hot start. We were all really excited about them. But really, since, what, I don't know, about week four or five, uh, they have sort of vanished off the radar. They come back off the bye. Neither one gives you a very big game in what was just kind of a rock fight against Carolina. Um, what are we feeling about these two wide receivers now? Yeah, I would be buying on Nico Collins for sure. Um, to your point, he's not performed well um, since week three overall. He did have a big spike game uh, in week four where he gave you a wide receiver three performance. But the other four games, wide receiver 62, wide receiver 46, wide receiver 28, wide receiver 56. So the local manager in your league with Nico Collins that was feeling really hot about it at one point in time, that's probably fizzled out a little bit at this point. And he's at a borderline decision, you know, hey, do we get this guy in our lineup or not? So give he or she a call, kick the tires, because Nico Collins, 25% target share in week six, 29% target share in week eight. He's at a 22% on the season. He's still getting the targets. He's still, he's still shown us that he can make the big plays. He's still got the, the body and the archetype like that frame to score the touchdowns down inside the 10-yard line. We've just seen a rough couple of games for C.J. Stroud. So I think you're going to win some, you're going to lose some whenever you're dealing with a rookie quarterback. But Stroud has showed us what he can do, Marcus. So I'm definitely going after Nico Collins. I think with Tank Dell, it's a little different, but we have to remember that he was battling through the injury. He missed uh, basically one and a half games with the concussion. And we saw him back this weekend. And the big positive you have to look at with Robert Woods out, 93% route participation. That led the team. So anytime you've got a guy like that, and even though his target earning ability has come down a little bit, Marcus, he's now sitting at a 20% targets per route run on the season. So that's wide receiver three worthy. He had really been in that wide receiver two range up until now. We've seen the spike games. We've seen him have these big target share games. He had a 23%er in week two, 25%er in week three. So once the passing game is back on track, I still think you're going to get really big boom games from Tank Dell. And it's very encouraging that he's getting on the field as much as he is. Like if there was any receiver on the Texans that we would have said, you know, he might get stuck in like a trinket role and he might not see full route participation. It would have been Tank Dell and it's been the opposite. Like he's the guy that's getting on the field the most whenever he's healthy. And they also are getting him involved in the run game. He had three rushing attempts. So I do think more positives still to come for Tank Dell. I think he's a low end wide receiver three, but he still has that big boom upside can give you wide receiver two performances. And a guy we could change our opinions on our opinion on really quick. It can be tricky with these rookies because we don't have a long track record with them. When I go back and do the utilization comp stuff, I have to compare to similar archetype wide receivers. Like I can't just say, oh, go look at Tank Dell. You can't do that. Like you just have to look at what other rookies have done historically over the last 12 years. So I do think there's still upside for Dell as well. I would be trying to trade for both of these guys, but especially Nico Collins. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I preached from the beginning is that there was going to be variance with these guys. It was going to be up and down, and that was something that fantasy managers were going to have to take into account. But the, where you drafted them, you also weren't necessarily counting on them every single week uh, as well. Um, 
T. Higgins was a guy you drafted on to count on pretty much every single week. It was off to a slow start. Having a broken rib will sort of do that to you. But uh, the biggest takeaway from what I saw from Cincinnati on Sunday is that it looks like this offense is healthy again. Joe Burrow looks healthy. T. Higgins looks healthy. Uh, and the Bengals look like they are really ready to take off offensively right now. All right. I'm ready to make a bold claim here, Marcus. We're not broken. We are we are right. holding firm. We are as confident <laughs> as ever. Like, look, this is a simple one. You don't even need me. You don't need utilization to know. Go by T Higgins. Like Joe Burrow looks great. <laughs> the offense is coming back into form. The Bengals are probably, I mean, there's a chance they're the best team in the AFC right now. I know they got off to the rough start with the calf injury. The record doesn't necessarily show it, but tell me like, really, do we think the chiefs are for sure better than the Bengals? I know Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, but Joe Burrow is also Joe Burrow. And he's got better weapons around him. Whenever you look at Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, then you got Joe Mixon. Like it's it's a bet, it's a more complete team, in my opinion. Now the Chiefs have been playing good defense. So not to turn this into Cincinnati versus Kansas City, but the bottom line, this is a really good team. And boom games are coming for T. Higgins. He's getting healthy at this point. Only an 82% route participation. That'll be more like 92, 93, 95% in the next couple of weeks. And he's at a 19% target share on the season. He's going to get better than not 19% on the season. That was his last weekend, but he's going to get better than that. Like we know this is a guy that can be in that 22% range on a pass first offense with a great quarterback. So just keep it simple. Go get T Higgins now before he has the blow up game. Yeah, it, it seems like it's coming because the, the Bengals are about to get hot right now. We're going to be an interesting, interesting game in week nine uh, against the Buffalo Bills. That's uh, on Sunday night football. Um, Terry McLaurin, I guess it's no surprise that here we are around Halloween. It is it is scary season, so why not have Scary Terry get an upgrade? It just it only makes <laughs> sense, Dwayne. Yeah, and if I would have told you before the season, Marcus, that Terry McLaurin would be playing, you know, with a quarterback that could average around 250 yards a game, give you a 400 yards per game ceiling, like where would you have drafted Terry McLaurin? Oh, he's he's a second round pick. What are you talking about? Yeah, the big thing that held people down on Terry McLaurin was we had no clue about the quarterback. And Sam Howell, for all of his sack issues, and those are well documented, he's balling otherwise. Like this guy is just making hyper accurate throws. He's making big time throws. I mean, you can say what you want about the sacks, but he's often buying time to try to find the big play. And he does come through and hit those big plays. And so when you look at it right now, McLaurin. 15.3 points per game over the last three contests, 10.7 targets per game. And remember, he had that turf toe injury to start the season, so we don't always approve of splitting stats down and looking at, looking at him this way, but there are reasons to do that with some players. And with McLaurin, given the health issues that we had early on, I think that it's fair to do that. He's still going to have some ups and downs because we saw Jahan Dotson have a nice game this last week. Curtis Samuel when healthy isn't going away. Hey, Jamison Crowder going to get him involved. He can have seven targets and seven catches in a game from, you know, Sam Howell, Logan Thomas still getting a little bit. But I do think McLaurin has established himself as the clear target leader. He is the guy that has the most target pedigree on the offense. It goes back several years. So talented wide receiver started a little slow, Marcus. But when we look at the pass first nature of the commanders and who thought that we would have seen that. Drop back rate over expectation, 7.6%. That's the second highest in the NFL right now. Wow, let's go, Eric Bieniemy. Like, now we're talking. This is a good situation. <laughs> a good a good quarterback, a really good receiver, and they throw the ball all the time. Bigger days are coming for McLaurin. Let me tell you this. There is room for more, Marcus, 
Because Howell's at a 67% completion percentage right now. Did you know that McLaurin has the lowest catch rate on the team? 53%. They just haven't been quite in sync. It's almost there. The timing isn't quite where it needs to be. Some of that could go back to the injury. Remember, he had to miss time in preseason. These things can take time, but when that gets there and that variant swings or regresses back to the mean for where we've seen Terry McLaurin, wow, you're going to get some wide receiver one performances. I've upgraded him to high-end wide receiver three status at this point. If he gets one more game like this, he'll be in the wide receiver two group next week. Wow. Uh, By the way, the biggest upset in the NFL in week eight wasn't the Broncos beating the Chiefs. It was that Sam Howell was only sacked once by the Eagles, uh, the Philadelphia (laughs) Eagles. I don't think (laughs) like no one, no one saw that. I play in an IDP league and it's a weekly race to see who can pick up whoever's playing against Sam Howell. Like just random. (laughs) I picked up uh, Leonard Williams, who had like no like one sack or no sacks on the season. You know, and he gave me like 20 fantasy points against uh, the uh, commanders. Didn't happen. Uh, yeah, I, I had a uh, I had yeah. sweat this last weekend and nah, no, he gave me uh, one fantasy point. So uh, kudos to the commanders yeah. for keeping Howell clean and kudos to, to Howell because owning those you own those pressures quite often as a quarterback. So he made some improvements there. Absolutely. Absolutely. He did. Um, we got a few tight ends to talk about before we finish up. Trey McBride, we talked about last week on this show and that uh, the door was open for him with the Zach Ertz injury. And at least through the first week, he stepped right through in a big way for Arizona and for fantasy. Folks. Yeah, man. 26 fantasy points for McBride in a full time role with Zach Ertz now placed on IR. The beauty of this, though, Marcus, and we talked about it last week, he was already carving out a larger role. Well, I'll, we'll take fantasy points any way we can get them. We'll take starting roles any way we can get them in fantasy. You know, so McBride stepping into the role was great, but we always like to see when there's a trend leading into that where the coaches are like, you know, we got to get Trey McBride more on the field. And now suddenly Ertz is out and he's in that full-time role. He had an 88% route participation last weekend. That is elite. And I don't need to tell you, a 40% target share also absolutely elite. So those are big numbers. And I think that we could, while he's not going to score that many fantasy points per week, Marcus, I don't think that this is a fluke. Sometimes we see these big blowups. It's like, ah, yeah, just kind of brush it off. No need to even, you know, no, no need to get too excited here. Right. I think there is a reason to get excited with Trey McBride and he's still available in most fantasy leagues. I think he needs to be an absolute priority on your waiver wire this week. And you look at him, second round draft capital, Marcus. He had an awesome senior campaign at Colorado State. He caught 90 balls, 1,121 yards. And the big thing here, 2.83 yards per team pass pass attempt. Dwayne, that sounds like complete nerd talk. Yes, it's nerd talk, but essentially all we're doing when we take something (laughs) and we divide like that, we're just normalizing for the offense because not everyone gets to play in a pass-heavy offense. So you've got to be able to have a way to normalize data But that 2.83 yards per team passing attempt, if you look at that going back, Marcus, that's in the 78th or sorry, 95th percentile of all tight end prospects since 2017. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important number that typically correlates to future fantasy success. And in our fantasy life model, he graded on the 78th percentile. We've seen a lot, sorry, 78th percentile. So top 12 finish. Uh, for almost half of those prospects, and then 11% have gone on to, to have a top three season in their first three years. Sorry, I got a little jumbled there with my words. So these are guys that have shown a, an ability to move on quickly from the college ranks and produce in fantasy, even though that can be hard at times. So a year two guy, 
He has the draft capital, was a target earner in college, and now he looks like probably the number two behind Marquise Brown the rest of the way. We got Kyler Murray on the way back. We don't know if it'll be week nine. Maybe that's week 10. But I think all things are looking really good right now for Trey McBride. Low-end tight end one. Maybe he gets an upgrade to that mid-range tight end one upside status because we're going to have some other guys also coming down with Waller's injury and things like that. Yeah, uh, definitely the arrow pointing up for Trey McBride. So from a second-year tight end to a rookie tight end, and I'll tell you what, watching Dalton Kincaid have a big game on Thursday night, the fantasy community, it was like it's like in the Olympics, right, when you have like one 4 by 100 track team and they win and they all take the victory lap together. That was fantasy Twitter on Thursday night, taking a collective victory lap over Dalton Kincaid because what we imagined could happen for him uh, it finally came together for him on Thursday night for the Bills. Yeah, the big thing, Dawson Knox headed to IR last weekend with the wrist injury. He's out indefinitely now. It went from, ah, oh, well, we may need to get him surgery to, yeah, we're going to go ahead and take care of this. Just a small little thing. We're going to get it taken care of. Then it was, well, <laughs> yeah, he's going to be on IR now. He's going to miss four weeks. Then it became, yeah, we don't know how long he's going to be out. It could be a long time. So Kincaid, at least for the next three games, though, should continue to be in this role. 85% route participation and an 18% target share. When you look at an offense like the Bills that likes to throw the ball quite a bit, Marcus, and especially in this game, they didn't have Quentin Morris. So they only had one tight end active and it was Dal- it was Dalton Kincaid. So he's going to probably come down a little bit in that route participation, but I still expect them to be over 80%. And again, we've talked about it multiple times, but after Stefan Diggs, we don't have a clear target earner in Buffalo. I also found their game plan very interesting. They didn't try to run the ball a lot against the Buccaneers. They went to that old school Bills passing attack that we saw when they first signed Cole Beasley. We're just going to do all these quick hitters. I, I actually think it was for Josh Allen, his quickest average time to throw of his career. So they were just basically like Gabe Davis is usually running gassers. He was running flat routes. Like they're lining the guy up inside just saying, yeah, Gabe, just go two yards. We'll throw it to you. So I thought that was a very interesting game plan. If we get that continuing, that's just going to mean, you know, more passing plays. There's going to be more pot. There's going to be a bigger pie to, to split up if this is the new offense while we wait on Dawson Knox to come back. So we'll see what happens with that. But either way, Dalton Kincaid's now a low end tight end. Yep, everybody got to uh, kind of wave the flag on that one. It's nice when we all can come together and agree on something like that. Uh, last one here, and I take no pleasure in saying this, but um, Dwayne, Taysom Hill is a thing, and it's time that we acknowledge that Taysom Hill is a thing. Yeah, uh, Galaxy Brainers can finally take their victory lap. They've been pontificating on this one for years, <laughs> decades. I don't know. I can't remember, but it's always been around, this guy could play in all facets of the game, man. I'm telling you, and you don't get much out of tight ends. I mean, why not take a shot on Taysom Hill? You know, I mean, and here it is. We're there. Uh, you know, and the big thing here, Marcus, is he's getting consistent work in the passing game. He has a 40% route rotation, even with the return of Juwan Hill. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, But when you're also engaged in the run game, he has 14 rushing attempts over the last two games. And again, this is where fantasy football can just be nuts. 14 carries, the most we've seen over a two-game span for him. And it's with the return of Jamal Williams. Hey, Jamal Williams, welcome back. Just kidding. Taysom Hill's our starting. He's our number two running back now. That's essentially (laughs) what's happened. And you can't really blame him because he's good, Marcus. Inside the five-yard line, this guy scores touchdowns. He has three rushing attempts inside the five over the last two games. He scored on two of them. There's going to be some variance here, but when you add it all up, 40% route participation, he's caught at least one ball every game. He's going to give you a shot at two to three targets in a game. Okay. 
then he's going to give you a shot to get two to three rushing attempts per game. You're hoping one of them is high leverage inside the five. That's a chance to score a touchdown. And then you're going to get a chance to have one to two dropbacks per game. Now, not all those things will align every time, but when you add it up, he's got enough outs at this point that if two of those hit or even one of those hit plus a touchdown, you're better off than most low end tight end ones where you're just hoping they score a touchdown. So the spike game potential, as the nerds have told us, is looking really good for Taysom Hill. He is a low-end tight end one, but he he has the upside that some of the other guys in that range just don't have right now. I mean, look, we thought once upon a time that that Taysom Hill was sort of a creation of Sean Payton and the uh, and, and the fantasy football nerds out there, but uh, turns out the nerds won because here we are with Dennis Allen uh, as the head coach, and Taysom Hill still getting plenty of usage in the Saints offense. So uh, time to just own it. Like, he's, he's really getting it done for the Saints, and we have to adjust uh, on our fantasy rosters as well. All right. That gets us through a whole list of players. By the way, you can go check out the utilization report at fantasylife.com. You can go and dive into the suite of utilization tools there as well. And as I always say, go sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. Low, low cost of free 99. It comes to your inbox every single day. All right. That's a good place to put it down for the week. Appreciate you hanging out with us here on the utilization report debrief slash sheesh report. For Ian Harditz, for Dwayne McFarlane, I'm Marcus Grant. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hopefully you enjoy the week. Enjoy, take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you again real soon.